Good morning, National Capital Bible Church, those online and in person. It is true we have chili in the back, so uh, compliments of my wife. Let's keep Pastor Dean in prayer. I believe he's on the bend. I was told from West Houston Bible Church he was under the weather, respiratory infection. He was not able to be a part of the pre-trib conference, so I'm not sure if he is doing better, but uh, let's keep him in prayer, please. But for now, let's prepare our hearts for the rest of the service using 1 John 1, nine, which says that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We do this to restore the filling ministry of God, the Holy Spirit, thus allowing him to empower us and to illuminate the truth that we're going to look at this morning. So let's pause for a moment of silence and then I'll pray. Father, thank you for the privilege that's ours in Christ Jesus. And uh, we pray that as we move through the service today and our meeting this afternoon, that you would be honored and glorified in all that we say, think, and do. We trust that it would be God, the Holy Spirit, that would orchestrate all the details and the logistics as we interact with the information, especially your word this morning. We ask and pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Call to worship is going to be taken from Second Chronicles, chapter 20. I thought I would change it up a little bit to remind us all of how sovereign and powerful God is amidst a crisis and a calamity when enemies are on all sides of us. Second Chronicles chapter 20 says the following. It happened after this that the people of Moab with the people of Ammon and others with them besides the Ammonites came to battle, to battle against Jehoshaphat. Then some came and told Jehoshaphat, saying, A great multitude is coming against you from beyond the sea, from Syria, <clears throat> and they are in Hazazon Tamar, which is En Gedi. And Jehoshaphat feared and set himself to seek the Lord and proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. So here's the king. He's in fear. He's terrified, and he decided to seek the Lord, and he proclaimed the fast throughout all Judah. Judah gathered together to ask help from the Lord, and from all the cities of Judah, they came to seek the Lord. So all the cities came together with Judah to seek God. Verse 5 says, Then Jehoshaphat stood in the assembly of Judah, and Jerusalem in the house of the Lord before the new court and said, O Lord God of our fathers, are you not God in heaven? And do you not rule over all the kingdoms of the nations? And in your hand is not is there not power and might so that no one is able to withstand you? Are you not our God who drove out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and gave it to the descendants of Abraham, your friend, forever. And they dwell in it and have built you a sanctuary in it for your name, saying, 
If disaster comes upon us, sword, judgment, pestilence, or famine, we will stand before the temple and in your presence, for your name is in this temple, and cry out to you in our affliction, in our troubles, and you will hear and save. And now here are the people of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, whom you would not let Israel invade when they came out of the land of Egypt, but they turned from them and did not destroy them. Here they are rewarding us by coming to throw us out of your possession, which you have given to us to inherit. O God, will you not judge them? For we have no power against this great multitude that is coming against us, nor do we know what to do but our eyes are upon you. Now all Judah with their little ones, their wives and their children stood before the Lord. Did you hear that? The little ones were with them all together. Then the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jehaziel, the son of Zechariah, the son of Benaiah, and the son of Jeal, the son of Mataniah, a Levite, and the son of Asaph in the midst of the assembly. Verse 15. He said, Listen all you of Judah and you inhabitants of Jerusalem and you King Jehoshaphat. Thus says the Lord to you, Do not be afraid nor dismayed because of this great multitude. For the battle is not yours, but God's. Tomorrow go down and against them they will surely come up the ascent of Ziz and you will find them at the end of the brook before the wilderness of Jeruel. You will not need to fight in this battle. Position yourselves, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord who is with you. O Judah and Jerusalem, do not, be, do not fear or be dismayed. Tomorrow, go out against them, for the Lord is with you. Jehoshaphat bowed his head with his face to the ground, and all Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem bowed before the Lord, worshiping the Lord. Then the Levites of the children of the Kohites and the children of the Korahites stood up to praise the Lord of Israel with voices loud and high. So they rose early in the morning and went out into the wilderness of Tekoa. And as they went out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Hear me, O Judah, and you inhabitants of Jerusalem. Believe in the Lord your God, and you shall be established. Believe his prophets, and you shall prosper. And when he had consulted with the people, he appointed those who should sing to the Lord and who should praise the beauty of holiness as they went out before the army and were saying, Praise the Lord for His mercy endures forever. Now when they began to sing and to praise, listen to this. They began to sing in praise. The Lord set ambushes against the people of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir who had come against Judah, and they were defeated. For the people of Ammon and Moab stood up against the inhabitants of Mount Seir to utterly kill and destroy them. And when they had 
made an end of the inhabitants of Seir, they helped to destroy one another. So when Judah came to a place overlooking the wilderness, they looked toward the multitude and there were their dead bodies fallen on the earth. No one had escaped. And when Jehoshaphat and his people came to take away their spoil, they found among them an abundance of valuables on the dead bodies and precious jewelry, which they stripped off for themselves, more than they could carry away. And they were three days gathering the spoil because there was so much. In other words, they scored. They scored big time. And on the fourth day, as they assemble in the valley of Barak, for there they blessed the Lord, therefore the name that place was called the valley of Barak until this day. Then they returned every man of Judah and Jerusalem with Jehoshaphat in front of them to go back to Jerusalem with joy, for the Lord had made them rejoice over their enemies." So they came to Jerusalem with string instruments and harps and trumpets to the house of the Lord. And the fear of the Lord was on all the kingdoms of those countries when they heard that the Lord had fought against the enemies of Israel. Then the realm of Jehoshaphat was quiet, for his God gave him rest all around. So Jehoshaphat was king over Judah He was 35 years old when he became king and he reigned 25 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Azuzabah, the daughter of Shili, and he walked in his way of his father. So I'll not finish this, but if you have the time, I would encourage you to read the rest of 20. But what you have here is God going before his people. But the prerequisite was for his people to be singing praises to God in confidence. And guess how the enemies were won over? He turned them against each other. The three annihilated each other. Some of you may be going through battles right now and hardship and challenges. Give it to God. These things are recorded for our edification to remind us that God is on our side. The sovereign God who demonstrated His sovereignty and power in Second Chronicles is still alive today. We have nothing to fear. We have nothing to worry about. The Scripture is recorded for our edification. Those things that happen before us are for us to learn. You know, it's one thing to quote a chapter and verse, Oh, God will cause all things to work together for good. But sometimes it just does not connect, especially when you're going through something. And that's the reason why we study portions of God's Word, old and new, so that we can see how God works. God said, just be still. They were instructed to just go forward in spite of the odds against them. Three to one. Three to one. And Jehoshaphat said, let's call a fast. Let's recognize who we're up against and who's going before us. And because of his strong leadership, they defeated, well, God defeated the enemies. Three to one. 
three to one. So let's not forget who's on our side. Sometimes we need to be reminded of things like this. We're going through basics. We're going through these doctrines, but we're going to discover some things here that I think are going to be meaningful and helpful as we push through this. This is the next increment of our study. But before we do, I'd like to share some customary verses that I all, I always start off with because it shows the simplicity of salvation. The Bible says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. He who believes in Him is not condemned. He who does not believe is condemned already because he does not believe in the name of the only begotten Son of God. But as many as received Him, to them He gave them the right to become children of God to those who simply believe in His name. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, for by grace you have been saved through faith, that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Therefore we conclude that a man is justified by faith apart from the deeds of the law. Let's just pause for a moment of silence so that I can open in prayer and then we'll begin our study this morning. Father, thank you as always for giving us the opportunity to reflect on your word to look at some passages before we begin to remind us that you, Lord, are sovereign and supreme in spite of what goes on around the world. Even though there are some things that we don't agree with, you remain in control at all times. People may mock us for still attending church. But Father, we recognize that it's foolishness to those who are perishing, according to 1 Corinthians. But to us, it's where we derive power. To us, it's where it gives us an opportunity to not forsake the assembling of saints, as some have in the past. Help us now, Father, through the agency of God, the Holy Spirit, to illuminate the truths that we're going to look at this morning and make adjustments in our personal lives where necessary. And Father, we don't do this for only academic purposes, but we do it so that our lives would be transformed and that we would be guilty, all guilty of being doers of the word, not simply hearers only. We ask and pray all of these things through Christ's matchless name, in which we pray. Amen. I'm going to quote something. I'm going to cite Dr. Dwight Pentecost to begin our study here. Dwight Pentecost is a professor at Dallas Theological Seminary, Bible Exposition, fantastic professor. He said the following in his book entitled Design for Discipleship. The subject of discipleship is frequently discussed. That means churches talk about it. Christians talk about it. Men are called to become disciples without any definition of the concept and without any clarification of the requirements the Lord makes of those that are his disciples. So we talk about it, the concept, without any clarification of the requirements for discipleship. The Lord makes of his disciples. And then he goes on to say, discipleship is frequently equated with salvation. And often erroneously made a condition 
for becoming a Christian. Thus many are confused about their relationship to Jesus Christ. So if you understand what he's saying, he says that, yes, people talk about it, but they don't know, they don't have the foggiest idea as far as what the requirements are. In fact, let me just throw the question out out in our church right now. When you think of discipleship, what comes to mind? What do you think of when you think of the or hear the word discipleship? Service. Service. Okay, very good. Anything else? Teaching. Mentoring. Very good. So this is coming from Dwight Pentecost from his book. I don't. Um, Mike, have you read this book? Designed for this. Excellent book. If you don't have it, and you're into reading, I definitely would encourage you all to get this book. Or you could borrow my copy. So let's look at some passages here to show you what he's talking about. Well, let me ask you this. Suppose I, five years later, I admit I'm a Christian now, I'm a pastor, but then five years, ten years from now, I become a part of ISIS. Is that possible? Am I still saved? I renounce Jesus Christ. I don't believe in Him anymore. I believe in Allah. Thoughts? Am I still a Christian? Am I still saved even though I renounce Jesus Christ? Doesn't it say, whoever denies me before men, I'll deny before the Father? So now what? What happens to me? Divine discipline? Or do I lose my salvation? Or did I prove that I was never saved to begin with? Well, think about that as we move through this. And we're going to look at Matthew. In fact, let's start off with Matthew 10. I think this is important. Um, Matthew 10... And if someone could kindly read 30, let's see, where do we want to start? 32 and 33, Matthew 10. Let's listen to the words of Christ himself. Matthew 10, 32 and 33. And I only have two hours today because we have a business meeting, right Scott? Just kidding. We will get through this. Matthew 10. Bill, thank you. 32 and 33, please. So I denied him in front of you all. What happens to me? What's Jesus going to do to me? You're going to get whacked. Okay. Well, you're, you're still saved, but um, it's in spite of you because of your previous belief in what if I had a head faith but not a heart faith? That's an old chestnut. Old chestnut. No well, such thing? It, there's nothing in there that says that, I don't think. Okay. Will he deny me? What's that? It has to do with the judgment. 
has to do with the judgment seat of Christ. Okay, so if I deny him before men, you all, he will deny me what? He'll deny me before the Father in heaven. So what happens to me? I'm denied entrance into heaven? No? Huh? Deny of rewards. Okay. Very good. Um, let's start with the bookends in Matthew 10, 1. Who's he talking to? What, who's, what's the context here? Let's see who he's addressing first of all, since we're students of the word. We like to study contextually who's the recipients of his challenge here. Twelve disciples. Do we have his name, the names? Okay. Oh, so it's not even referring to anybody today. Simon Peter, Simon who is called Peter, Andrew, his brother, James the son of Zebedee, and John his brother, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew the tax collectors, James the son of Alphaeus and Lebius, whose surname was Thaddeus, Simon the Canaanite, and Judas Iscariot, who has also betrayed him. Okay, so you got me there. It's not referring to us today then. Contextually, when he says, whoever confesses me before men, I will also confess before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. So he's referring to the twelve. He's not talking about people today. He's talking about the twelve. He sends them out to preach. And what's interesting is, look, look at what he says in verse 5. It's a very particular message and a group of people that he sends them out to. It's not referring to today. For example, these 12 Jesus sent out and commanded them, saying, do not go into the way of the Gentiles and do not enter a city of the Samaritans. So very particular. But go rather to what? Lost sheep of the house of Israel. So these twelve were commanded to look for the lost sheep of Israel, not to the Gentiles. Today we're, it's expanded, right? We, we witness to everybody. Here it's only to the lost sheep of Israel. Look at what he says in seven. And as you go, preach saying, that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out demons, freely you have received, freely you give. So it's a particular group of people and it's a particular message. What's the gospel message there to preach here? The kingdom of heaven is at hand. It has been stalled. They re- Israel rejected her Messiah, correct? So when will that kingdom a- a- happen? When will that ha- when will that kingdom arrive? After the tribulation. It's called the millennium. The next major plan on God's divine schedule is the tribulation, the, the first the rapture, 
then the tribulation, then the second coming, which leads the, which initiates the millennium period. This kingdom that was stalled here is going to take place in the future. So this message was to the twelve, to the lost sheep of Israel. He told them to heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead even. And then to give you an example as to why he said 32 and 33. Bill, could you read um, verse 21? Matthew 10, 21. Pretty rough environment, wouldn't you say? Imagine that. Brother will deliver up brother to death and father a child and children will rise up against his parents and cause them to be put to death. That's pretty serious. That's intense. And this is why Jesus says at the end, 32 and 33, whoever confesses me among you all, the twelve, whoever confesses me before men, I will also confess before my Father who is in heaven, But whoever denies me, unfortunately, I have to deny you too. What is he denying? This is not the Bema Seat judgment. This is recognition. Before the Father, you know what? Vanessa and Beth did a great job. They stood for us, Lord. And amidst the the difficulty, they would stood and they were faithful to the very end. So I acknowledge these two ladies before you, Father. But whoever denies him before men will be also be denied recognition before the Father. So this has nothing to do with today. This is not talking about, well, if you don't make a stand for Jesus at work and you don't admit that you're a Christian, he'll deny you. That's what a lot of people would have you to believe, but I don't think that's the, the context here. And so, I cite this because a lot of people will use this during a, an evangelistic crusade. Come now, we're going to play one more song and come off your seats. Come down the middle of the aisle or come down in the field and acknowledge Jesus right now. Ask Him into your heart because today is the, the day of salvation. If you deny Him, He'll deny you. Have you heard that before? A lot of crusades do that. A lot of churches do that, unfortunately. And they cite this passage here as a way of kind of stringing people to come forward. So again, looking at this, Dwight Pentecost is uh, again arguing for a confusion and a blur between salvation and discipleship. So let's look at a verse that sometimes uh, gets misunderstood, but help me out on this. Luke 9.23 says the following, Then he said to them, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. This is discipleship now. So it includes identification with him in the context of his suffering, rejection, and death. He names three things in this one verse. Three instructions as far as what it what's required to follow him anyone know what the three things are what does it say what are the three things here what are the three instructions deny himself take up his cross and what's the third one follow me this is discipleship here 
completely different from salvation, correct? He wants you to de- to deny yourself, not die to self, deny yourself, take up the cross and follow me. And we'll address that a little bit more in just a moment. How about this verse? If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, and his own life also, he cannot be my what? Anybody pass the test? This is discipleship here at the core. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, if you have brothers and sisters, them too. Yes, even his own life. He cannot be my what? You can't be his disciple. This is hardcore discipleship here. But this is called the hyperbole. It's not to be taken as literal. He's not talking about hating your father and mother, especially when he tells us to love one another and love your neighbor as yourself. The phrase to hate one's family and his own life refers to a conscious choice to place all in second place to Jesus, but not to seek hatred, encourage neglect, or inflict harm on oneself or even others. This is a hyperbole. It's kind of like if I say, um, it's raining cats and dogs. Do you see uh, cats and dogs flying out of the sky? What does that mean? It's raining cats and dogs. Pouring rain. If I say it's hot as hell, am I saying I know how it is in hell? Just means it's hot, right? It's a hyperbole. So he wants everything and everyone else to be second. Because if you don't, if anyone comes to me and does not place his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, second, he cannot be my disciple. That's a tall order. This is discipleship. You know, in the doctrinal churches, the Bible teaching churches, I had a very, very difficult time finding information on discipleship. You know that? I have the latest Bible dictionary from uh, Colonel Theme. I don't know if anybody picked that up. That's a nice resource to have. If you haven't received that, go to rbtheme.org and get yourself a copy. Superb material. But you will f- search in vain to find anything on discipleship. The subject of discipleship. Kind of like what Dwight Pentecost said. There's only a few in my library that pertain to discipleship. Interestingly enough, there's not too many books, sound books on discipleship. One by Rodmacher that I highly recommend, Earl Rodmacher, and it's 
He is uh, with, I think, Eric De- Derrickson. I don't recall the title of uh, the author. Has, it's a dual author. Uh, but um, I only have two books, maybe three. Ma- Mark Bailey, also a Dallas professor. Follow me. Why is that? I think in the doctrinal circles, what tends to happen, this is why I'm taking this uh, approach to going through basics again. This is just my observation. I think the reason why we don't see much on discipleship, in, and this is not a negative thing or a knock on the doctrinal churches, but I think it's put, it's kind of, um, the focus is on the spiritual life rather than discipleship. Being filled with the Spirit, walking by means of the Spirit, and that's all healthy and that's all core doctrines that we must know. But I think this is why Dwight Pentecost said it's, it's confusing to some. And when I say some, people on the pew level where it counts where Christians who go to church day in and day out, every single Sunday, every week, confuse the two of discipleship and being a Christian. Because look at this. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. And some take discipleship and Christian to be one and the same. There's a professor at Talbot Seminary who wrote a book uh, on discipleship and he equates the two as if you're a Christian, you're a disciple. Anybody hold to that view here? Are all Christians disciples? He teaches that. 200 plus pages in his book. I think that's why a lot of churches are confused. Because they'll look at a verse like this, they'll just read randomly Luke 14.26. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, and his own life, he cannot be my disciple. And so when I thought about it, I think the Bible teaching churches focus more on the spiritual life being filled with the Spirit, and there's not too much on the subject of discipleship. And if there is, please let me know afterwards. I'd love to see the book, regardless of the pastor. I'd, I'd love to see his material because as I'm moving through this, I, I think it's important for us to know the distinctions between the two, which is why we're now going to move through a chart that I'm going to, uh, not this chart, Remember, we've uh, showed you this diagram several times. Salvation consists of three tenses, right? Past, present, and future. Salvation includes all three. A past tense salvation, present tense salvation, and future tense salvation. But phase one and phase two are sometimes confused. That's what um, Dwight Pentecost was saying. In other words, some people confuse and blur what a Christian is and what a disciple is. And so I'm going to attempt to make a difference between the two. And so this morning in chart format, I'm just going to read. And if you want a copy of this, 
I'll gladly email it to you if you want, because some of this might be hard to... Can you read this? Is this legible from where you are? Okay. So, on the left side, we have salvation. Look at that as phase one. And on the right side is discipleship. I'm going to make a, I'm going to contrast the difference, differences between the two. Salvation is free without a price. You find this in Romans 6.23, Isaiah 55.1. But salvation is certainly not cheap. Um, Bill, can you read 1 Peter 1, 18 to 19, please? It's free, but it's not cheap. There is a price. It's okay. Yes, please. Very good. So it cost the father his son, and that's supported with First Peter one, eighteen through nineteen. Now discipleship, on the other hand, is costly, and that's taken from Luke fourteen twenty five to thirty two, and I'll just read it quickly. The great multitudes went with him, Luke fourteen twenty five, and he turned and said to them. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, and his own life, he cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. So you got to hate your father, mother, brother, sister, wife and children, and even his own life. And whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you intending to build a tower does not sit down first and count the cost whether he has enough to finish it? Lest after he had laid the foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him. Saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish. He didn't think it through. He didn't plan properly. Or what king going to make war against another king does not sit down first and consider whether he's able to, with 10,000, meet him who comes against him with 20,000. Or else, while the other is still a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks conditions of peace. Likewise, whoever of you does not forsake all that he has cannot be my disciple. That's verse 33 of Luke 14. So the idea here is salvation is free without a cost, But it isn't cheap. It's free for us. It's received by faith alone in Jesus Christ alone. Whereas discipleship involves putting him first, preeminent. Putting him before family, before yourself. That's discipleship. That's what he has called us to do. So when we say we're followers of Christ, are we really following Christ in the sense of the, the subject of discipleship? Are we prioritizing him? And that's what we're going to see. Salvation requires believing in Christ, Acts 16, 31, 30 and 31. On the right side, discipleship is about following Christ. Matthew 4, 18 to 22 and learning from him, Matthew eleven twenty nine. On the left side, left category, salvation is coming to Christ and finding rest from the burden of sin, Matthew 11:28, and discipleship comes one verse after Matthew 11:29. 29. 
It's taking Christ's yoke and learning about him or learning from him. So one is coming to him, finding rest from sin, and then the other is taking Christ's yoke and learning from him, Matthew eleven twenty nine. Salvation on the left side involves Christ loving me. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Romans 5.8, Galatians 2.20, John 3.16, all buttress that. And discipleship involves me loving Christ, Matthew 10.37. Let me read what it says in Matthew 10.37. says, He who loves father and mother more than me, again, you have all this emphasis on putting him first, even before family. He who loves father and mother more than me is not worthy of me. He who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. That's Matthew 10.37. Bottom left under salvation, a saved person is one who believes the gospel. On the other hand, discipleship on the right side, a disciple is one who abides in Christ's word. That word is meno. You remain. You are Staying in his word on a consistent basis. That's the difference between the two. So now, next slide. Contrast between salvation and discipleship. Uh, In salvation, you receive and possess eternal life at the moment of faith. John 3.36 But eternal life is defined... In John 17, 3, as knowing the Father. Can you read it, Bill? John 17, 3, please. It's reciprocal here. Some people say eternal life is believing in Jesus Christ and that's it. I live forever. But John 17, 3 has a different definition. So eternal life is knowing who? Jesus and? The Father, that's part of eternal life. It's not an ongoing cessation or ongoing life. It's a reciprocal relationship between the Father, the believer, and Jesus Christ. Ongoing. That's eternal life defined by Jesus himself. Knowing the Father and knowing Jesus. So that's part of discipleship. We must be getting to know Him on a regular basis. So it's knowing God the Father, GTF, and God the Son. That's It's stewarding eternal life. I put in parentheses stewarding as opposed to possessing eternal life. You possess eternal life at the moment of faith alone in Jesus Christ alone. The moment you possess that eternal life, you slide into discipleship now if you want to prioritize Him And you steward that eternal life, that relationship, by knowing God the Father and God the Son. That's discipleship. Salvation is just birth. It's about birth. Discipleship is about stewarding that birth. Knowing Him, knowing God the Father, knowing God the Son. How? Through the Word of God. On the left side, A person calls upon Christ, Romans 10.13. And on the right side, discipleship, 
A disciple denies self. Luke 9.23 Now, let me see. Let's turn to Romans 10.13. I'd like to show you something here. I think I'm going to make an adjustment on that section there. It does ref- it can refer to salvation, but it actually does not refer to salvation. And I'll show you why. Salvation phase one, I mean. Um, Scott, can you read Romans 10.13, please? 10.13? Yes. Okay. What is that referring to? Um, I think at the end of the tribulation, mm-hmm. uh, the nation of Israel. Okay, very good. Is that correct? Yes. That will apply during, because this is uh, citing, uh, where is it here? Joel 2.32. So this is referring to Yes, Israel. But I think it's also referring to those who call upon him. But what? who does this refer to today in this dispensation? Is this unbelievers calling upon Jesus to be saved? Whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Romans 10.13 Well, let's look at the following verses here. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? How shall they believe in him in whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear him without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they are sent? So who's the one calling upon him? Believers, you find this also in Romans 10.1. Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they may be saved. But this verse has been jerked out of context numerous times to suggest that whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So if we share this with our unbelieving friends, if they call upon him, they'll be saved. But that's not what the context seems to point to because how shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? How shall they believe on him in whom they have not heard? So the idea here is the one who calls upon him is already a believer. So he's saying, believers, brethren, it's kind of like if I'm saying I'm standing in front here and some of you are going through a crisis. You're going through all this crud Have you called upon Him lately? Have you called on Christ lately? Have you prayed to Him lately? You keep bickering and complaining, why is this happening? But you're not calling upon the Lord. Whoever calls upon Him will be delivered. That's the idea here. Okay? So, person calls on Christ... In Romans 10.13 and in Luke 9.23, for discipleship, a disciple denies self. 
Whereas on the left side, a saved person possesses Christ. For a disciple, a, a disciple forsakes possessions. Luke 14, we saw that earlier. Possess, uh, forsaking all for him. Being saved on the left side involves trusting. Ephesians 1.13 Whereas being a disciple on the right side involves training. So to, to be a believer, it requires trusting, believing in Him. Discipleship involves training. Matthew 28, 19. Go into the world, make disciples of all people, teaching them the things that I, what? Taught you. So there's this idea of replication. If you look at Matthew 28, let's just turn there real quickly time we have here the passage that we're all familiar with but let me just it is full it's rich go he's talking to his disciples therefore and make disciples so he's talking to his, his disciples to go and make more disciples of all nations of all people baptizing them in the name of the father the son and the holy spirit and it continues Teaching them to observe all the things that I've commanded you. That's discipleship. Teaching them to observe all the things I've commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So it's training. So when you're saved, it's all about trusting in Him. That's why we looked at Second Chronicles. 20 earlier, all about trusting him amidst a crisis and enemies against us. We can trust him. Discipleship, on the other hand, involves training, which includes looking at the scripture, studying the scripture. Salvation involves receiving God's gift. John 1.12, but as many as received him, to them he gave them the right to become children of God to those who believe in his name. And Ephesians 2.8 9 for by grace you have been saved through faith, that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Discipleship involves receiving God's instructions. Bill, can you read Acts 2.42, please? Very good. They were continually um, devoting themselves to teachings, fellowship, Breaking of bread. I think that's involves chili, right? Okay. And prayer. Okay. Those are the key things that require discipleship. That involves discipleship. It's receiving God's instructions. Next slide. We have the following. Every believer measures up to the full demands of God's righteousness at the moment of faith, according to 2 Corinthians 5.21. Believers often do not measure up to the full demands of discipleship. Luke 14, 25. The whole idea of denying and hating father and mother, brother, sister, and so on. In Luke 14, 25 to 32. Salvation on the left side involves one standing in Christ. And we sometimes talk about our position in Him. So one is, one involves our standing Positionally in Christ, now no longer in Adam. 
And on discipleship, it involves one state. Or sometimes you'll hear people say one's condition or practice. Their condition versus their position. Their position is in Christ, but their condition, are they in reversionism or are they advancing to higher grounds? Position and condition. Those two are distinct. One refers to standing. One refers to state. Are you in reversionism or are you onwards on spiritual maturity? On the left side, salvation emphasis is on what God has done. 1 Corinthians 15, 3-4. He died according to the scriptures. Discipleship, on the other hand, the emphasis is upon what man must do, what me, we must do. Again, that's the denying father, hating father, mother, and so on. Luke 14, 25, 33, 25-33. Salvation, the emphasis is upon what God has done, or I'm sorry, the work of Christ. 1 Corinthians 1.18 The message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us it is the power of God. The focus of discipleship is upon the word of Christ, his teaching. You find this in John 8.31. On salvation, salvation is God's commitment to his word based on the work of his son. Romans 3.24 So God's commitment to his word. Whereas discipleship is the believer's commitment to Christ's word based on his relationship to Christ. John 6, 68. You'll recall in John 6, as the teaching started to increase, many of the disciples followed him no more. John 6, 66. And so Peter said, where will we go? You are the only one who have the words of eternal life. Bottom left, the saved person is a saint. As Dr. McGee would often say, you're either a saint or an ain't. Uh, the believer, the saved person is a saint, according to 1 Corinthians 1, 2, a position, a position shared equally by all believers, the saints that meet at National Capital Bible Church, the saints that meet at Philippi. The disciple is a student. Matthew 11:29 and some believers are better students than others. And, uh, next slide the invitation to salvation is come unto me. You find this in John 6:37 it's a calling upon him for salvation whereas discipleship is an invitation to come after me. Come unto me or come after me. Matthew 11.28, John 6.37, Luke 9.23, come after me. Definitely a difference there. Salvation on the left is belief in Christ, John 1.32, and John 3.36. Whereas discipleship requires obedience to all of Christ's commands, as we saw in Matthew 28.19-20 teaching them the things that I taught you. John 5.24, salvation is the believer hearing his word and believing on him. Whereas discipleship is the believer sitting at his feet and hearing his word. You remember 
when he meets the sisters, Martha and Mary. Martha's pretty ticked off. Why don't you tell Mary to help me get off her butt and help uh, with the hospitality? Remember that? But what's interesting is when you look at the context there, uh, Jesus is probably with his 12 disciples too. So you can imagine that Martha or Mary was just wanting uh, her sister to help as well because there, it's not just Jesus. I think the 12 were also involved. I believe that's why there was uh, some frustration on her part. Salvation. The believer is never instructed to obey the demands of discipleship in order to be saved. This would be salvation by works or LS, also known as Lordship Salvation. The believer seeks to fulfill all the demands of discipleship because he is saved. This is being saved unto good works, Ephesians 2.10. We're saved for good works. What an awesome privilege it is to be able to serve the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Bottom left corner of the chart, we have salvation involves faith in Christ, John 3.16, John 6.40, as well as John 6.47. Whereas discipleship involves doing, not just hearing the word. We learned that last week, James 1.22. Our last chart, and we'll develop this more over the next several weeks. We'll kind of zoom in closer. But I wanted you to see the distinctions between the two in this chart form format. God's salvation is perfect, lacking nothing. You find this in Colossians 2.10, 1 Corinthians 1.30. Whereas discipleship, measuring up in discipleship is less than perfect. But I press on, Paul says, forgetting those things in the past looking forward and pressing on. And that should be our attitude as well when it comes to discipleship. Things in the past are in the past. I look forward and press on. Salvation to be saved, a person must believe on Jesus Christ. John 3.16, Acts 16.31. The belief in the Lord Jesus Christ is a one-time moment of faith, never to be repeated and never to be lost. What do I mean by that? Well, sometimes people think, especially if you have a Arminian kind of background uh, versus Calvinism, uh, you can lose your salvation in, in some denominations. And I don't believe that that's possible. The belief in the Lord Jesus Christ is a one-time moment of faith. You believe in him once and that's it. You don't lose your salvation. Just like I, if I become... Part of ISIS, I don't lose my salvation. I, like Rick said, I'll probably get whacked. I'll get spiritually disciplined. Maybe the sin unto death. But I will never lose my salvation because there is no spiritual abortion with God. So the belief in the Lord Jesus Christ is a one-time moment of faith, never to be repeated and never to be lost. And that's good news for us because when we blunder and, and blow it from time to time, Sometimes our sin nature kicks in and will challenge us. Are we really saved? Do they, do you really believe that God loves you still even though you blew it a thousand times? And the answer is yes. The recourse for that is rebound or confess your sins. Discipleship, on the other hand, to be a disciple, a person must continue 
in Christ's word. Love Christ supremely, deny self, forsake all that he possesses, bear his cross daily, etc. Put him first, prioritize him. The requirements of discipleship are many and they are difficult. And it requires a sacrifice. But that's discipleship. Discipleship, on the bottom left, I say here, all that is involved is not a requirement for salvation. Discipleship on the bottom right is a privilege of every saved person. Not everyone can serve him, only those who are a part of the family of God. One last slide and then we are done. Salvation, every person is saved by faith alone, not by obedience or by surrender or submitting or by giving up your possessions. That's not salvation. Jesus Christ took care of it. You don't have to do a thing. The only thing you have to do is believe in Jesus Christ. On the other hand, a disciple, for a discipleship, a believer should become a follower. Uh, let's turn to John 14, 15, and I'll read it so that I can say Bill's uh, voice. John 14, 15, if you don't have a Bible, that's fine, I'll read it. John 14, 15 says the following, If you love me, keep my commandments. John 14, 21, He who, keeps my, he who has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me, and he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. And, that, and verse 23, Jesus answered and said to him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. How many of you love Jesus Christ? Okay, all hands are up. So if you love him, obey him. That's why we should go into discipleship. We should shift gears and go beyond belief in him and go into discipleship. Why? It's an expression of our love for God. John 14.15, John 14.21, and John 14.23. Salvation on the, on the, in the middle left relates primarily to justification P1. Diagram, phase one. We have been declared righteous. Discipleship relates primarily to phase two, also known as sanctification. Now in the box there, I tried to squeeze this in here, but it's a little difficult because of the, the size of the fonts, I believe. But I put justification and sanctification are related, but they must not be confused. They must be kept distinct. The same is true for salvation and discipleship. They're related, but they are distinct. They're not one and the same. Was Judas a disciple? Judas Iscariot? Was he a disciple of Christ? Uh Uh-oh. We have a division here. Was Judas Iscariot a disciple? No? No? Doesn't doesn't Jesus call him a disciple? Jesus, uh, Judas, 
was a disciple, but he was not clean. That There's a big difference between the two. Judas is recognized in the New Testament as a disciple. But John 13 said, all of you are clean except one. <clears throat> See why it's good to come to national capital? Look in your Bible. How do they address Judas? He is a disciple. I didn't ask if he was saved. That would be a different story. It says the demon entered into the heart of Judas. John 13. All of you are clean except one. They're all his disciples. In fact, didn't we read in Matthew 10, Judas' name? Wasn't he one of the twelve? So he was a disciple of Christ, but he was not clean. So that's that's a big difference. He was not regenerate. He was not saved. That's important to keep in the back of our minds. It is possible to be a disciple. What's a disciple? A learner, a follower, a student. Could be a follower of Bruce Lee. Martial arts, right? Just a learner, a follower. Are you a follower of Jesus Christ? If you are, then that involves loving Him. If you obey me, if you love me, obey me. If you want to be a disciple of mine, hate your father, mother, brother, sister, son, daughter. But the idea there is to prioritize Jesus Christ above all. As we've seen in the passage of Scripture. just means put Him first. Of course, love your family, love your parents, love your wife, love your husband. But it's a hyperbole. Jesus is saying, it's raining cats and dogs. I want to be first in your life. You want to be a disciple of mine? You want to follow me? Then you have to hate everything else, including your own life. Prioritize me. That's discipleship. Bottom left. Salvation puts a person into a right relationship with God the Father. It's a one-time process. That's called spiritual birth. Discipleship is an ongoing relationship and an interaction between Jesus and the believer. It's a lifelong process. Getting inculcating Bible doctrine, inculcating God's Word on a consistent basis. That's part of discipleship, but doing it, not just hearing it. Which is why I've spent several months talking about salvation. You might have been wondering, well, why is he still on this salvation thing again? Again and again. It's at the same chart again. Well, I realized when I first stumbled upon the subject of discipleship and soteriology and salvation, there's a big blur. There is a big confusion among evangelicals. So I did not want to chance this. I wanted to make sure that we hit this clearly and thoroughly so that as we progress, we can say, okay, this is what a disciple is. I have to put him first above myself above my family, above everything and anything. Does that mean you can't love them? Of course not. You're commanded to love them. You're commanded to honor your parents, so on and so forth. But the idea is he's first. That's what a disciple is. So hopefully 
We picked up a few things and we'll continue with this next week. But for now, let's close in a word of prayer. Father, thank you as always for giving us the opportunity to examine your word. And Father, this is a very important subject, in my opinion, uh, the distinction between salvation and discipleship. I'm confident, Lord, we know in our heads and in our in our hearts what a true disciple is, what a, a Christian is, but at the same time, Lord, as per my findings, I do believe that there is mass confusion among uh, the Christians, not necessarily here, but those who will be listening to this eventually online. And I'm confident, Lord, as we move through this, we'll be able to answer it thoroughly. As we've seen uh, passages like, whoever denies me before men, I'll deny before the Father, has nothing to do with salvation at all. It has everything to do with the twelve, the ones who are able to raise people from the dead. Nobody here can raise someone from the dead as far as I'm concerned. But at the same time, we recognize, Father, that studying it in context is the key to being able to advance to spiritual maturity. Thank you, Father, for all that you've provided for us in the person of your Son, Jesus Christ. We ask and pray all of these things through Christ's matchless name in which we pray. Amen.